Uh, this is uh, Dale Shank's second time preaching for us. I'm very excited. Woo! Thank you. That's what I like to hear. I'm going to read for us uh, from John 16, 1 through 11. I had a panic that it was Luke for a second there. Sorry. <laughs> but it is John 16. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Joanna for reading that. Good morning, everybody. Uh, I'm super glad to be up here this morning. Glad that Vince and Kenny just, is, they're giving me this opportunity to preach to you guys. Uh, we're in the series about the Gospel of John and starting this week in ver- uh, chapter 16. Um, but as it starts out, it's almost a continuation of what we went over last week, what Vince went over last week about um, at the end of chapter 15, Jesus is telling the disciples that the world is going to hate them. And we can see at the beginning of this chapter, he kind of um, brings that bad news up again. And so this passage is pretty interesting because at first glance, we can kind of see this uh, good news, bad news thing going on. And you guys have all heard the saying, like, do you want the good news or the bad news first, right? <laughs> so when I think about that saying, it makes me think of a movie um, and this movie was probably made before I was even born, but uh, it's one of my favorites called Robin Hood Men in Tights. Anybody see that one? Cool. So if you don't know it, I'm going to try to like act out, I guess, this scene or like tell you guys what. Yeah. All right. All right. So there's this, there's, there's a scene um, where there's this the sheriff, the sheriff of, sheriff of Pottingham and, and a prince. The prince is sitting in his throne, and the sheriff walks in, and he goes, Sir, I have some news. And the prince is like, well, what kind of news is it? You know, I've, I've, my day started out so well. I had a great night, night of sleep. I can't take any bad news. So what type of news is it? And the sheriff goes, well, quite frankly, it's bad news. And, and the prince is like, I knew it. Smacks his cup, and he goes, what if... You told me the bad news in a good way. That way it won't seem so bad. And the sheriff's like, what? Okay. And then he just starts hysterically laughing. And he goes, huh, sir, you'll never believe this. I just ran into Robin Hood. And, uh, you know, he's back from the Crusades. And, well, he just beat the crap out of me and my men. <laughs> and he goes on and tells the rest of this bad news. But um, he's laughing hysterically. And the, and the prince just goes, are you insane? <laughs> Anyways, my <laughs> 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 
My point is, just like this prince, just like the disciples, we don't really like to hear bad news. Am I right? So I'm just going to pretty much dive right into it. You guys ready? So what's the bad news? If we're talking about this passage, I want to go over the bad news and the good news of this passage. So let's read verse 1 again. It says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. So Jesus is saying, like, what, is, what are these bad, or what are these things that Jesus is talking about? Well, again, like Vince went over last week, that the disciples are going to face hatred, right? They're going to face persecution. Jesus wasn't trying to scare them, but he's trying to give them hope and encourage them um, in, in this hour, this, this farewell um, discourse that he's, that he's giving to his disciples. But in verse 2, he just continues with the bad news. He just goes right back into it. And what does he say? He says they're going to be persecuted. They're going to be kicked out of synagogues. They're going to be killed. Right? Jesus is giving them a warning of the reality that they're going to face persecution. Right? There's difficult things that are going to come. There's uncomfortable things that are going to come. Right? So that's the first bit of bad news. Second bit of bad news, Jesus is leaving. Right? He's just bouncing. <laughs> he isn't going to be with the disciples anymore. He's not going to be walking on this earth anymore. Just a few years prior, Jesus had come to these men, these disciples, and said, hey, pick up your stuff and follow me. They had lives. They, have, they had occupations, and they just, they just left everything behind to, to, to follow Jesus. And now Jesus is saying, hey, I'm leaving. Right? I, obviously, what, are, what would you guys, you guys would be shocked. You guys would be um, just terribly sad. I know I would. But in verse 5, it says, But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? You guys, I know I have a little niece, my little niece, Nia, Leah, sorry. Whenever I hang out with her, um, we're having a good time, and, and I'm, whenever it's time to leave, I go, all right, Leah, I got to go. She goes, oh, where are you going? And she, she doesn't say that because she cares about where I'm going, right? She says that because she's bummed that I'm leaving. But here Jesus is saying they didn't even ask where he was going, right? But sorrow immediately filled their hearts. That's what it says in the passage. They were sad, devastated. The crazy thing is that the disciples acted this way, even though Jesus had over and over and over told them what it would mean for him to go away right? What it would mean for, for them and for the rest of the world if Jesus, if Jesus is going away. And they still acted like that. What does it mean for Jesus to go? He says in John 12, 32, and I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to the Father. And the disciples knew what was going on. They knew what Jesus had told them, but they're so wrapped up in themselves so worried about themselves and, and, and Jesus, the one who kept them, the one who they lived with and, and spent their, their past three years with, he's just leaving and they're just worried, so worried about that that they didn't even understand what it meant for Jesus to go away. You know, they didn't, they didn't understand, I like this, they didn't understand that losing Jesus means gaining everything gaining salvation. They gained everything by Jesus going away. And you know what else? This, this passage is, is a picture of who we are as, as people, right? It's a picture that we need to be kept, right? We are dependent. 
from, from the fall of man, people have always tried to say that we're independent. We don't need anybody to, to help us. We're self-sufficient. We're not able to handle life by ourselves. Life by ourselves. And Jesus is, is suggesting in this passage that the only reason the disciples were able to exist and, and continue on was because that he was with, there, with them there. And in, in the Old Testament, God revealed himself how? He revealed himself by, by um, talking to people directly, by revealing himself in dreams and visions and speaking through prophets. He was able to keep his people by doing so. And Jesus, just by walking and living life with everybody, and he was keeping them. So what about now? Well, that's the good news, right? If the bad news is that we're gonna, they, the disciples were going to face persecution and, and that Jesus was leaving, there's, there's some good news. And, and we're told that Jesus says that he's sending the Holy Spirit to them, right? Jesus, when Jesus leaves, the Holy Spirit comes and he dwells in the hearts of believers. And he says this is an advantage, but at first glance, I mean, it almost doesn't seem like an event. To the disciples, it wouldn't seem like a dis- an advantage, right? I can imagine saying, Jesus, you are the son of God. How could it be good for you to go away? Right? Who here would have wanted to live in the time of Jesus? Right? Isn't that, it's pretty cool to think about, right? Um, God in flesh walking around. You get to hear his wisdom, see his miracles, Right? It would have been pretty special just to see Jesus' face, what he looked like. I picture Jesus having dreads. Yeah. <laughs> and if he didn't, I think John the Baptist for sure had dreads. <laughs> there, I, was, I was talking about this last night with Gabe, my wife, and um, there was a time maybe six years ago when my hair was like down to here. And if you don't know me, I'm a huge reggae fan, so um, I wanted dreads, and pretty much immediately she's like, nope. <laughs> but the, the point is, walking with Jesus would have been pretty cool, right? Uh, what if Jesus was here in present times? I mean, where would he live? Do you think he'd travel? you think he'd take Southwest, like wherever he's going? <laughs> you guys remember um, when Amazon said that they're going to come out or they're going to establish a second headquarters somewhere? And do and you guys notice what all these cities did? They kind of put together proposals or, or tried to um, get Amazon to come to their city, right? And what if we had to do that with Jesus? We're like, Jesus, um, San Diego's pretty rad, right? <laughs> we, got, we got great weather. We got the beach, the zoo, the San Diego Padres. The, the, we got California burritos. He'd for sure. <laughs> he'd for sure come to San Diego. <laughs> But my point is, I think um, a lot of us feel like the disciples actually had an advantage. I mean, I, I would think that. I mean, I'm guilty of saying, like, if I only got to see Jesus, if I only got to live with him, how, how different would my faith be? Like, how much stronger would my faith be if I actually got to see Jesus? Of course, living with Jesus would have been awesome, but there's some evidence here that Jesus even provides to say that it's an advantage if the Spirit comes. And by saying that, I'm not minimizing Jesus at all. I mean, Jesus himself said these things, right? He says in verse 7, 
says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is your advantage if I go away. Now, Super Bowl is next week, right? And I'm almost um, regretting already bringing this up, but, and I'm not comparing Tom Brady to Jesus at all. Um, but we're a week away from the Super Bowl, and Tom Brady has led the Patriots to the Super Bowl in a dominating fashion. He, he, I mean, he just has taken over the NFL. What if tomorrow Tom Brady says, hey, I know the Super Bowl is coming up, but I'm not going to play with you guys. Like, there's somebody else that's going to come in, and he's going to do better than I am. Right? What, what, would, what would his teammates say? You're kidding me. Are you serious? You let us here, right? You're the best quarterback of all time. Like, how, how is it going to be better for somebody else to come in? And that's exactly what the disciples were probably going through, right? I'm sure that wouldn't go over very well with the Patriots. But Jesus here is saying, look, quite frankly, like, it's better for me to go away because when I go away, this Holy Spirit is going to come, the advocate, the counselor, the strengthener, right? And, and, and the Holy Spirit is the one who comes and meets our needs from within. And that's exactly what the disciples needed at this moment. They needed to hear that at this moment. They needed to know that they're going to face persecution. They're staring possible death like in the eyes. And Jesus is like, look, the Spirit's going to come and dwell within you, and he's going to lead you. That's exactly what we need in every breathing moment of our life is to know that the Spirit is with us. You guys agree? You guys ever noticed when Jesus would talk um, or preach, his disciples would sometimes be confused or they would argue amongst each other, right? I think they very, very rarely left sermons with their minds understanding, right? Ready to go and, and spread the good news, but instead they're confused, I mean, Peter denied Jesus three times before Jesus died, right? Not saying it's, it's bad or negative, like when Jesus was here, but I think it's important to look at what happened after the death and the resurrection of Jesus um, and after the Spirit comes and, and dwells in the hearts of the believers. What happens? Peter's ministry, after he just denied Jesus three times, Peter's ministry goes on fire. The disciples' ministries go on fire, right? They're spreading the good news, and they're spreading it with clarity. Before, they were con confused about what Jesus was saying. Now, they're spreading what Jesus is saying with so much clarity. It's insane. And that's what happens when we let the Spirit work through us, right? At the time of the conversation, the disciples had no idea what was going to happen. They're just too consumed they, 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 had, um, they wanted to hang on to some control of their lives. You know, they're so worried, wrapped up about themselves. What do you guys think the church would look like if the Holy Spirit never came? I don't know. The disciples after Jesus left was probably like twiddling their thumbs in the upper room. No motivation to go out and spread the good news of the gospel. That's what I picture. I don't know, I don't know about you guys, but just read the book of Acts. It's incredible. I mean... It's such an exciting book to read, and that's just a great example of what happens when we let the Holy Spirit work through us. So that's, I guess that's a picture of, Acts is a picture of what happens when, um, 
the Spirit comes to the church and to the believers. But in verse 8, I think it's interesting, because in verse 8, um, this is one of the very few times, if not the only time, that the Bible talks about the Spirit coming into the world, right? All other times, it's usually the, the Spirit's going to come to you. This is talking about the Spirit coming into the world. It says, and when he comes, verse 8, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. And it's almost easy to read that verse and be like, okay, well, the Holy Spirit's going to come, come into the world, and he's going to touch the hearts of, of the unbelievers, and he's going to convict them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But I don't think that's what he's saying. I want to read verse 7 and then go uh, into verse 8 and kind of insert a word that I think um, the context suggests should be there. Right, verse 7, it says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So I think, I think we can take that word you and put it into verse 8. And when, the, when, when he comes to you, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The, the Holy Spirit isn't going into the hearts of the unbelievers. He's coming into our hearts so that we can in turn spread the good news about Jesus and the Holy Spirit to unbelievers. Um, John 14, 16 through 17. I think this kind of can explain what I'm talking about. It says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus says the Spirit doesn't dwell in the world, but in, in our hearts. In fact, Jesus is saying that the world cannot receive the Spirit. Not that it will be difficult. Cannot receive the Spirit. Why? Because they don't see him or don't know him. What does that mean? We have to show the world Jesus. Right? I, I mean, I don't think it gets more plain than that. And when, and, and when the Spirit comes to the, to the Christian... It's through us that he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. This is what he's saying. When the Spirit comes and operates in us as he intends, I think, obviously, look at the book of Acts. I think we have the power to change the world. So what does this mean? This means three things, right? I think uh, we can go off of sin, righteousness, and judgment. I think there's three things that the world needs to see as it, as it looks at us, looks at the church, this, this lowercase c church, the body of believers, the individual. And I think if, if we aren't showing these things, maybe we're just not allowing, maybe we're closing off our hearts, not allowing the Spirit to work through us. Number one, and it's, uh, we're going to be in verse 9. So the first thing the world should see when it looks at us, the believers, is Jesus. This is not a crazy revelation, right? It's kind of uh, just a typical saying. We, the world needs to see Jesus, but this is so crucial, right? I'm convinced that if the disciples hadn't shown the world Jesus, I think people would have forgotten about Jesus. Why? Because they want to forget about Jesus. There's so many articles, so many books today that, um, that try to prove that Jesus never existed. They're just trying to put him away. There's a video on YouTube 
called Zeitgeist. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it, but there's over like 5 million views of this video. What it does is uh, these people created a whole video just to try to prove that Jesus never existed and that Christianity is borrowed from other religions. So people think that Jesus never existed, or if they do think he did, he's just not relevant to us. That's exactly what the church is here for. It's to bring Jesus consistently to the world, right? Doing so, how do we do so? We put on the character of Christ. We talk about Jesus, and in our normal conversations, we share our stories with people who don't know Jesus because our stories show them what Jesus does to broken people, right? He redeems, he forgives, he heals, restores. When the church is spirit-filled, it talks about Jesus. And when the world sees Jesus for who he is, I think at that moment, that's when people will finally understand that the most basic and fundamental sin isn't evil things that people do, but the most fundamental sin is in a disbelief in Jesus, right? Ask somebody, say, hey, what do you think the most basic sin is? They'll probably say murder. They might give you some weird answer, but that's exactly because they don't understand that not believing in Jesus is the most basic fundamental sin. And so that is what the church is to do, is to bring that to light and to show people who Jesus is and how he transforms us. So that's convicting the world of sin, right? Convicting the world of, of righteousness, Jesus says, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Jesus is righteousness, right? But he's not here for people to see his life. Yeah, you could read about in scripture, but how often do unbelievers open up the word of God and, and read? So then what? How do we show the righteousness of Jesus to people? We need to show that we live a different way of life. We live by different standards, a different behavior. We live by our righteousness. What people once saw in Jesus, what people once were so attracted to in Jesus, the, the, the unbelievers, the world needs to see that in the church. Vince talked about relativism last week. And, but it's these ideas that there's no standards, there's no right or wrong, or, or these situational ethics where the situation determines what's right or wrong. And the world will continue to believe that until it sees in the church the standard of behavior that reflects Jesus. Like I said, people were so attracted to Jesus. Thousands of people would gather around him to listen to him. Why? Because he was different. Why was he different? Well, because Jesus was perfect. He lived a perfect life, right? Jesus proved that there is a clear-cut righteousness and an absolute evil. And isn't it beautiful? We read about it. We hear about it. Man, Jesus' life was so beautiful. And when we're obedient to the, to the Lord and to his word, and we're, we're letting the Holy Spirit work through us, I think the world will see a beauty in all of our lives, and, and they'll be curious, right? But again, it's not our righteousness that we're showing to the world. It's not ours, it's Christ's righteousness that, that, um, that he gives to us through the cross, right? Third thing, you guys ready? Uh, the world needs to see um, judgment, right? And it says why? Because the ruler of this world is judged. That is, people need to look at the church 
and say, okay, there's this philosophy of Jesus and the philosophy of this world, and they're going to clash head on, and one is going to win, and that is Jesus. And people need to see that. Everything in this world, the whole world, is going to be destroyed. There's going to be a judgment. And people should look at the church and say, hey, these people are different. They know how to love. They know how to reach out to people. They're no longer tied up in themselves. And this is the kicker. They're not crippled by fear. They're not crippled by fear of judgment. Why? It's freeing to know that the wrath of God that we deserve has been taken care of, right? Our debt is paid and it's freeing and that causes us to live differently. When we truly understand that, it causes us to live different lives. And this isn't seen perfectly in any of us, but the world sees it as this beginning or a growing and it shows them that there is light in this dark world. There is a hope in this dark world. Does that make sense? Is this, this is tough, right? It's kind of hard to, to, to actually do all of these things. Um, but I just want to just ask these questions. How often are we living with Jesus at the forefront of our lives so that the world can know who he is? Right? How often do we live righteous lives where our standard of behavior is, is separate and attractive to people, causing them to ask questions? Right? How often can people look at our lives and see that we aren't bound up by this fear, this crippling fear, because we know that we're forgiven? Right? This is only accomplished if we're spirit-led. I want to talk about this term or uh, phrase, spirit-led. It's kind of a, this like Christianese term. It gets thrown around a lot. I think it's helpful to um, describe what spirit-led doesn't mean first. Spirit, this might be hard. Spirit-led doesn't mean we make choices and say that the Spirit led us to to take this job, right? Or to buy this house. That doesn't mean that we can't lean into the Spirit and for with prayer and supplication and ask for guidance. But being that's not the main mission of the Spirit, right? We're told in John 15 that the Spirit will come and bear witness about Him. It'll bear witness about Jesus. That is the main mission of the Spirit. He isn't like a magic genie that you rub like the lamp or whatever it is, and and he comes out whenever we have a tough decision to make. The Holy Spirit is not an instrument in our hands for us to use, but we're an instrument for the Holy Spirit to use. His goal is to consume us, sanctify us, point us to Christ, and in turn, we do that to the world, right? We point the world to Christ. As believers, are we ourselves convicted of sin, righteousness, and judgment? I hope so. This is, this is important. What God has done to you, he wants to do through you. Okay? That means we get to be a part of the work of the Holy Spirit in our everyday lives. Right? In our workplace, in our neighborhood, at the coffee shop while you guys order your avocado toast. Right? <laughs> The Holy Spirit wants to work through us. And if you're a believer here, can you guys agree with me that our lives are so much better than they were before because we have Jesus? We've been transformed. We've been made a new creation. We have an eternal perspective. And God wants us to be involved in this process to the people around us. 
Isn't that exciting? God, praise God. And it's not because of our work that this will happen, right? It's because we've just let the Holy Spirit work through us. So that brings me to some more good news, bad news. You guys want the good news or the bad news first? I'm going to tell the bad news first. I'm going to tell the bad news first. Uh, So the bad news is we're probably not going to be comfortable doing this, right? It's going to be hard. And that's why Jesus was giving a warning to the disciples before he told them that the Spirit is coming. There's a really cool quote. Um, So Francis Chan has a book called Forgotten God. And it's a book about the Holy Spirit. It's a wonderful book. But he says this. The truth is that the Spirit of the living God is guaranteed to ask you to go somewhere or do something you wouldn't normally want or choose to do. The Spirit will lead you to the way of the cross as he led Jesus to the cross. And that is definitely not a safe or pretty or comfortable place to be. The Holy Spirit of God will mold you into the person you are made to be. This often incredibly painful process strips you of selfishness, pride, and fear. So what's the bad news? It's going to be tough. We're going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be hard. But I hope you guys didn't, didn't miss that towards the end. What did Francis Chan bring up? He says, but also we're going to be molded into the person that we're made to be. Do you guys want to be molded into the person that God designed you to be? And we kind of have to get uncomfortable. So let's just take a second to look at our lives. Are we letting the Holy Spirit work through us? Or are, we, are we keeping control of certain aspects of our heart, not letting the Holy Spirit um, completely consume us? Right? Are we letting the Holy Spirit work through us so that we display the righteousness of, of Christ that the Father says we have because of Christ? Are we letting the Holy Spirit work through us so that this wicked world will, will, will see that there's hope and there's refuge in Christ because of what he did on the cross, right? You think it was hard for the apostles? Yeah, I mean, look at Acts. Like, the church, was their, their ministry was on fire. Incredible things happened. But every one of them, except for one, was killed for their zealousness for God. The disciples were martyred. But they had seen the mission and the work of the Holy Spirit through their lives, Peter was asked to be crucified upside down. Andrew was scourged. James, the son of Zebedee, was beheaded. I could go on. One, one is interesting. He says, we're told that Stephen, who wasn't one of the original apostles, he says he was burned at the stake, and he sang songs of praise to God as he burned. Why? Because he and these great men understood the cross, and they, they, they knew, they experienced the power of the Holy Spirit working through them. That's, that's a, um, a wonderful place to be, but it's scary. And as hard as it may be to live lives so open to the Spirit, we may be hated, persecuted, thrown out of places, but we, just, we, we should know that what Jesus went through on the cross has redeemed us and has secured us. It's, again, it's important to understand that it's not a righteousness that we develop and give to God and say, here's my righteousness, though, but God developed a righteousness and gave it to us. And he developed this righteousness by sending Jesus, who lived a perfect life, to die and, and to pay our debt, 
right? To forgive our sins. This is the good news of the gospel. Christ humbly went to the cross for our salvation. And when he went, he knew what he was doing, what it meant for humanity, but he also knew that he was sending the Holy Spirit to help us, right? To, to push us to uncomfortable positions so that we can bear witness to the world about Jesus and through us convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Just, I'm, I'm kind of winding down here, but there's a quick reminder. In Titus 3, 5 through 6, it says, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own work, mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Christ Jesus our Savior. You guys believe that? That the Spirit has been poured out on us richly? And just remember, whatever we lack, the Spirit has, right? Whatever we need, the Spirit can provide. And it's, when, it's at this moment when we're constantly dependent on the Spirit, when we're constantly aware that we're lacking and that we're aware that we're in need, that we're going to experience even more God's renewing grace, right? So we're going to take communion. I don't know if the band wants to come up. Um, but I, I guess I just want to kind of leave you guys with uh, a, another question. I've kind of repeated it a few times, but just, just reflect as, as we're taking communion. Are we willing to let the Holy Spirit consume us and just control our lives so that we can be witnesses to the world? Or are we holding back parts of our lives because we want control or, or because we're scared of what it means to, to let the Spirit completely work through us? Even though it's better for us to let the Spirit completely work for, through us and it's better for the whole world for the Spirit to work through us, are we still holding back? Are we still afraid to submit to the Spirit. So we're going to take this time to reflect um, and to worship, continue in worship. Uh, our Savior who, who shed his blood so that we would receive um, salvation and we would receive the Holy Spirit. Um, Dave and Kirsty, you're going to be over here to pray if you guys need some prayer. band's going to continue working, but I, let me just pray real quick and um, Father, we're so thankful uh, that you went to the cross, right, for our salvation. And, and we're so thankful that you, you sent the Spirit um, as a helper, as an advocate, as a counselor, God, um, to, to work through us. And Lord, if today, if, if nothing else went across, God, I just hope that, um, that we would understand that that you, you've made us like Christ. You've given us his righteousness and you've freed us from the wrath of, that we deserve, Lord. I just pray that we would um, be willing to let the spirit work through us. God, we just love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.